Welcome back. It's me. Hey, how are y'all doing? Welcome back to the Bibliotherapy for Black Women podcast. This is your host, Amaka. I hope everyone who's listening to this episode is doing well. And how am I doing? I'm doing really well. I can give you just like a quick synopsis of what's going on today and how my weekend is going. I am recording on a Monday morning within the 10 o'clock hour on the East Coast. And I say the time zone because there are a lot of people that listen in a lot of different places. So I kind of want to be specific with that. Um, Yeah, so I am in the park today and... It is quiet, it is tranquil, it is the 29th of August, so the unofficial end to summer is rapidly approaching, and fall is starting to peek its head out a little bit. Majority of the trees are still very much green, but there are some that are starting to turn colors, you know, the yellows and the auburns and the oranges. So fall is my favorite time of year. It's my favorite season. I love everything about fall. I love the fashion. I love the food. I just love the vibes in the air. The only thing that I don't like about fall is the days getting shorter and it getting, um, you know, fall means winter is coming eventually. But I'm not thinking too far ahead to that. I'm just really looking forward to fall weather. I love sweaters. I love scarves. You know, it's, it's my time. It's my time of the year. So I'm looking forward to that coming. I am coming from Connecticut this morning because I was invited to a birthday party yesterday that was thrown by my old professor who is now a colleague of mine. She and I work together. So I made sure to be there because she is very near and dear to me as a mentor. Um, it's just someone that I look to for advice and direction when it comes to professional endeavors and you know talking about patients and treatment plans and best course of action and all that stuff so I just wanted to go and show my support I even did like a birthday like I said a few words in front of everyone and I started crying like a baby (laughs) I don't know what it is you know I used to not cry I used to not cry like this with sentimental stuff, I used to not cry. And I think it's just been getting older and life and realizations and, you know, you start crying, you know, you get really, you start thinking too hard and the waterworks just start flowing, at least for me. So I just wanted to kind of really show appreciation to her in front of everybody how much like, you know, how how much of an impact she's had on me, how much she has just kind of been a comfort for me because she was the only black faculty in my psych program. And for a minute there, I was the only black student. And I didn't know that she existed for a little while until this like after hours 
evening like psych meet meet and greet we had and she was sitting at a table and I was like who are you (laughs) why have I not seen you before and then I went up and I introduced myself and I told her that I was a psych student she perked up she was like oh very nice to meet you you know and then the relationship started building from there so I am really really thankful for her I don't know if she'll ever hear this episode but uh Delise if you are listening I'm very 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 thankful for you and I hope that you felt that from me yesterday so yes I was driving back from Connecticut this morning I did not want to come back after the party last night So I spent the night with an old classmate of mine from nursing school who's also a very good friend. And I was like, you know, I'm not even going to go home. I have all the things I need to record this episode. So I'm just going to drive straight to the park and get settled in. So I'm in the back seat. I have my little portable recording studio (laughs) back here going and... Before we move on to the book, I wanted to share with you guys that I am starting a monthly newsletter and I would love it if anyone who is interested in subscribing to click the link in the description that accompanies this episode. Put in your email, you'll get an email that asks you to confirm that you want to be on the subscriber list and you will be added. So this newsletter will come out on the 15th of every month. It's going to be called the Mid-Month Mental Health Newsletter. And the title says a lot about what it's going to be about. All things mental health, things that I don't talk about or haven't at least talked about on the podcast. Um, And the first newsletter is coming out on September 15th. I'm going to talk a little bit in more detail about why I left my old job. I'm going to share some topics around therapy. We're going to touch on some CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy strategies. I'm going to talk about some things within the psychiatry realm. So if you are someone who would love to get some information on mental health and wellness resources, tips, strategies, um, just kind of increase your knowledge base a little bit and just get information every few weeks that will be something you can use to make your days go a little bit better. Feel free to subscribe. Like I said, click the link in the episode description and subscribe. Confirm your subscription and you will be on the list. And it will be coming out every month on the 15th. And I look forward to having you guys get this information. I'm very excited for starting this. I'm loving just putting it together and just sharing a little bit more about myself and more about books that I have read that I have talked about on the podcast, some books that I haven't talked about on the podcast. And um, yes, I'm looking forward to getting this endeavor started. And I hope that you guys will subscribe. So subscribe to the mid-month 
mental health newsletter. And with that, we are getting into the book of this episode. We're talking Life I Swear Part 2. And I, like I said in the last episode, I was very surprised at how much I had to say about just like what is home to you and talking about me specifically, you know, all the places that I lived in in my 20s and how each place contributed to my story and what home means to me and, you know, home in the sense of physical space, but home also in the sense of who I am and seeing myself as some place to retreat to, like, you know, kind of turning inward. So I really enjoyed recording that episode and I hope anyone who listened enjoyed it as well. And I closed out that episode with a quote that I'm actually going to say again because it really resonated with me. And I think it would be a great way to kind of open up the discussion about the couple of essays in the book that I wanted to talk about. So the quote that I ended the podcast episode with last time is in the essay Twice of Everything by Neka Julia. And the quote is as follows. Coming home to myself is about accepting all of my former selves, accepting my emotions and accepting my feelings because they can either serve or master. They can either control you or you can control them. It's realizing that I have a place anywhere I choose because I myself am home. So this essay I wanted to highlight, it's one of two that I wanted to talk about before I move on to discuss the book. Twice of Everything by Neka Julia. She's a writer, photographer, and storyteller. And I, I think, related more so to this essay than some others because Neka is an Igbo name. Uzamaka, my full first name is an Igbo name. She's Igbo, I'm Igbo. There's a connection there. I actually even have an auntie in Neka. So, you know, the connection runs pretty deep. And I just loved how she highlighted the importance, you know, depending on who you are, the importance of kind of documenting your life and I am finding that to be I'm finding that that is becoming more important for me like I want to take more pictures I want to capture more moments not to the point where I miss the moment as it's happening but you know a lot of times pictures taking pictures in the moment is not for that moment Taking that picture in that moment is for you to come back to it in the future and have that memory resurface. And there's a lot of things that I'm doing now and with where I am in my life right now, I feel like I want to be able to look back and remind myself of how far I've come. And I do that, but just not in the form of photography or taking pictures. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of journaling. That's kind of my way of chronicling my life right now, you know, but those are words and I want to kind of use more images. So I am 
still in the process of kind of making those photo books that I've mentioned in the past couple of episodes. And I really want to make more of a concerted effort and be more intentional about capturing moments in my life, capturing major events, capturing everyday moments too. Because in my opinion, those are just as important as like the big events. And I think that it's helpful because you start to remember things differently, you know, the further away you moved from, the further away you move from that event that happened and you may start kind of mixing up details and things like that. But like having an actual account in the form of imagery can really help to solidify those memories in the way that they actually took place. And you have things to look back to. You have, you know, you can see how you were in this particular period of time. You can see how happy things were. You can see how painful things were. You can see how sad things were and how you moved out of that and are in a better place. So that's becoming more important to me now. And she kind of had this realization, too, of how she wants to document more of her everyday life, the big things, the small things, the good things, the bad things. And she got that from her dad, who found that that was really important to him, too. And I want to kind of underscore that with the quote. Without archiving, an entire generation can die. It has, it does, and it will. My father documented his life through photos and preserves so many memories so well. Candid shots at family functions, christenings, barbecues, weddings, vacations, and a host of beautiful and stylish self-portraits. Looking at these old photos made me ask, am I documenting my life the way it should be documented? My dad was always big on this Jim Rohn quote. There are three things to leave behind. Your photographs, your library, and your personal journals. These things are certainly going to be more valuable to future generations than your furniture. So her father really wanted to make sure that he captured as much of his life as possible you know, to be able to pass down to future generations so they know, you know, their lives before them and where they came from. And she kind of wants to take that on too and make sure that she does that for herself. And that's something that, you know, is becoming more and more important to me too. And I was glad to kind of see that because... I don't know. I don't know if it's because, you know, you get you get older and time goes so much faster. You know, just having had my birthday last month, I swear that my birthday comes faster and faster every year. So in my mind, the days and the weeks and the months are just like flying. And if you aren't intentional, if you don't take a moment to kind of just freeze a moment in time it 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 goes and it's gone forever so that's kind of how I'm feeling when it comes to that so I really appreciated her highlighting that in her essay another essay that I wanted to talk about quickly is the one titled 
Loving All the Pieces of My Heart by Esther Boykin. Let's make our way to the essay. Okay, so Loving All the Pieces of My Heart by Esther Boykin. She's a marriage and family therapist. And I loved this essay for a couple of reasons, but one particularly so because of something she highlighted that I struggle with a lot. And it is attaching your feelings of self-worth to your level of productivity. And that's kind of rooted from childhood, maybe at a point or a future episode. I'll talk a little bit more about that. But just like feeling, am I doing enough? Not being lazy, feeling like I've wasted time if I don't like get things on my to-do list done or like I don't deserve rest or things like that. And like divorcing those ideas and knowing that your worth is not attached to what you can do. It's not attached to what you can produce. Sure, joy and happiness can be derived from feelings of accomplishment, but feeling like your worth as a human being is attached to that is where there can be some challenge. You're not going to always produce at a level that you feel is acceptable because our best varies from day to day. I've said this so many times before. And sometimes you're going to have days where you're just not going to get anything done. And that just may mean that your body needs rest that day. But if you come at it from a place of, you know, I am so lazy today. I didn't do anything, you know, that can be detrimental mentally and emotionally. So I kind of appreciated her highlighting that, particularly in a paragraph on page 134 in her essay. The question I ask myself most often is, am I doing enough? There is this part of me that feels like I always need to do more no matter how much I do. I should be working harder, more diligently. I should be doing more of something. And when I'm not doing what I know I need to do, rather than be gentle and compassionate with myself, I scold myself. Um, that scolding that she mentioned, I can relate. Because even though I've gotten better at it, I am one to scold myself if I did not check off everything on my to-do list that day or maybe the things that I did do I feel like I didn't do them well enough and I talk about this I talked about this in a past episode where my inner voice particularly my inner scolding voice is an Igbo accent (laughs) and I'm not even trying to be funny because As a child, I was scolded by my Nigerian parents, my Igbo parents, who spoke Igbo in the house. And if they spoke English, it would be kind of like accented by the Igbo. So, you know, if I did something wrong or they asked me to do something and I didn't do it or I had a responsibility that I didn't meet Um, Since I was the oldest and I had three younger siblings, like, I would be scolded, I would be reprimanded, you know, and it would make me feel like crap. And that voice 
is my inner critic. And it is crazy, you know, how what is instilled in you as a child will stay with you. And it is so hard to shake. Like, I talked in that, I think it was a boundary episode with Nedra's book. I think that's where that was from. Or even the four agreements. I, I, I'm I, sorry, I do not remember exactly what episode it was. But I remember kind of talking about having that realization of where that came from. I was in my kitchen, in my old apartment, and like I literally stopped in my tracks. I'm, I must have, maybe I dropped a knife or something. Like it was a dramatic moment. <laughs> it was a dramatic moment when I realized that, you know, when I talk to myself in a scolding or reprimanding way, it is very reminiscent of the voice of my parents, you know? And I also talked about how I don't necessarily know that that voice is ever going to go away. I don't know if I'll ever really get to a point where it doesn't affect me anymore. But the tool that I have to fight against it is my self-awareness. Like I know now, you know, even if I start to scold myself internally, I won't outwardly say the words, you know, whereas before I would outwardly in talking to myself, scold myself and it would come out in that accented way. But now, you know, I've kind of resigned or resolved that if it is never going to go away at least I am aware enough to not speak it out loud and instead of speaking that out loud I will instead speak out loud like I'll literally like walk like process my thought like okay I did this I feel like I'm scolding myself internally but outwardly I'm going to show myself compassion and grace you know you made this mistake you did this it's okay it's not the end of the world there is a lesson to be learned let's move on like I literally do that I literally do that when it comes to feeling unproductive or feeling like I'm not doing enough or feeling like what I did was wrong and it has helped me so much It has helped me so much because I've had moments where I really want to like emotionally like beat myself down because of how harsh it could get when I was a kid. And it feels like I can't sometimes it feels like I can't move on and forgive myself until I do that, which is so weird. And I guess that's probably links to my upbringing too, like feeling like we can't move on from that moment or that incident until I am quote unquote properly punished you know and internally I feel like I can't move on from that moment or that mistake until I properly scold myself properly properly punish myself you know properly make myself feel like shit until you know until that happens I can't move on and um I'm just thankful that I'm aware of that so that even though it's still hard, like sometimes I feel like I haven't punished myself enough, but I don't let it move further than that. I'm just like, well, we just have to move through this. I did this. It's okay. 
Nobody died. (laughs) We may have lost some time. We may have lost some energy. We may have lost some money. Who knows? But it's okay. It's okay. We will recover from this. There is a lesson to be learned here. Do we know the lesson? Yes. Okay. Then we can only do better. And we move on. So that's kind of a long-winded, you know, those are just my thoughts about this particular portion of this essay that I really appreciated and that hit me hard because I struggle with that a lot. Feeling like, okay, I deserve rest now because I had a busy day or, you know, things of that nature. So my most favorite part of this book was the final collection of essays in part three, Piece It Together. And what I loved so much about this collection of essays is that it's centered around mental health. Um, and it's centered around kind of moving through the emotional roller coasters that come with different experiences in life and the shame that may be felt, the embarrassment that may be felt, the loneliness and isolation that may be felt, but ultimately coming out on the other side. And I have the book in my hand um, and I want to talk specifically about Chloe's essay in this collection um, that is titled Human Nature. And her, her essay, Cradled by the Sun, talks about her postpartum depression and feeling like nobody told her that this was a possibility that she could experience this and that she didn't really have the tools to navigate it. Um, and I read this essay and this specific collection around the time that I recorded the postpartum depression episode. So I was like, wow, like, you know, this is all aligned because I will be talking about this not too much later. Um, and she talks about how, like, this is like a partial quote. But no readings or words of wisdom from friends or family warned me of the emotional imbalance that would occupy this season. This is right after she had her son. And she goes on further to say, cluelessness, anxiety, and sleep deprivation, coupled with raging hormones that were at war with my mind, made for a disruptive spectrum of insecurities. I was discouraged by what felt like a lack of maternal instincts, and I was impatient to get it right. My postpartum depression made me feel unstable, selfish, and inadequate, and guilty. Guilty that the hormones fostered neediness that neither I nor my partner recognized. Guilty for not enjoying every moment of this precious time. I quickly felt like I was losing my sense of self, what I knew myself to be dynamic, passionate, sensible, felt like it was no more. And though I had the blessing of a patient partner and loving friends and family, few people asked how I was doing or would have understood. 
I felt let down by the experience. She goes on further to say, I wish more candor existed in the conversations between women about the fragility of those months post-birth. I wish someone had told me that the feelings were normal and expected. So that's, that's the extent to which I'll read the essay. But I am just so thankful to her for being so open about that. And I feel like people are starting to kind of tell the truth a little bit more about the complexities of entering into motherhood, that season of being pregnant, and then laboring and delivering, and then the fourth trimester, those three months after having that baby. Like, roller coaster ride. Emotional roller coaster is really an understatement. And I'm not a mom, but I have a lot of moms around me who have experienced this and have been honest enough with me. I have a f- couple of friends who are expecting soon and are telling me how things are going. And they're being very honest and truthful. And I really appreciate that because it's not all a walk in the park. It's not all, you know, flowers and roses and cupcakes and just like, no, it's not that. And um, it's not always what society, it's often not, I'm not even going to say not always, it's often not what what society puts out there in terms of messaging and what they portray. Parents really go through it during that period and just from a hormonal standpoint with parents who give birth like your body is readjusting trying to get back to normal hormonal levels and that can really impact how you feel emotionally and if you're not kind of connecting to your child right away you can start to feel guilt, you can start to beat yourself up and anxiety can develop. Like there's just so many things that can happen. Things that don't necessarily have to be so bad if these discussions were had more and the people going through it knew that they were not alone and that they are normal And that they are going through what other people have gone through. And that it's okay. And that they may need more support and some help. And that doesn't take away of, that doesn't take away from their love for their child. It doesn't mean that they love them any less. You know, it doesn't mean that they don't want to be there for them. They just need a village. It truly takes a village. But... The society that we live in doesn't really support that, in my opinion. And um, if anything, they make it more difficult and it really saddens me. And the experience of black women and motherhood is a whole other conversation, you know, because of the perspective of being the quote unquote strong black women, strong black woman who can take everything and handle everything and be the superwoman and not show emotion 
and take it all on the chin and move through life unfazed like that that is emotional suicide I'm gonna just say it like that like it sets you up for feeling so down and low on yourself and like you are failing at life it could really get that bad and I think we can do a lot to prevent women black women from getting to that point by just being more honest you know by just not being silent about the trials and tribulations of early motherhood and just saying I went through that too you're not alone I went through that too you're not abnormal I went through that too it will get better You know, I think just hearing those words and feeling a sense of community can go a long way. And I think her writing these words in this book, in a collection of essays by Black women, and, you know, that is intended for Black women to read, I think is just so, like, it cannot be overstated how monumentally important that is. And I hope that there are women out there who are going through this, who have been able to read these words and take something from it, feel a little less alone, and um, find some comfort in those words. So I really appreciated that essay from Chloe. There is an essay in the same collection of works called Intentional Motherhood, Exceptional Realness by Shay Giles, who's an entrepreneur. She talks about living with clinically diagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder and OCD. Clinical OCD is not something I hear a lot about in the Black community. So kind of having this be highlighted in this book that other people who may be going through OCD, who, you know, maybe have it but haven't been diagnosed, like, reading what she's going through and maybe being able to say, hey, like, my story is pretty similar to hers. Maybe I should get checked out or see a therapist or a psychiatrist. That is big. That is big. And I am very happy for this writer who has been able to get some help and therapy to the point where she knows what her triggers are, what worsens her OCD symptoms, and is able to kind of decipher what situations she can be in, uh, you know, people she can be around, how, how much to interact with others, you know, how low her social battery can get before she kind of needs to retreat, you know, like, all those things are important. And sometimes you're not able to figure these things out if you don't have the appropriate help. So I was just really thankful for seeing this because like I said, OCD, I don't feel like it's talked about 
within black culture a lot but that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that aren't dealing with it so that was really beautiful to see and just you know kind of rounding out this conversation with last episode and this episode on this book it is I just think as a black woman it is a really great book to read I mentioned in the last episode I think that I started reading a few pages and I was like oh I need to give this to one of my dearest friends so I sent her a copy and she started reading and loved it and told me that she ordered a copy for another friend of hers so it's really the gift that keeps on giving because you will take something away from each essay there's definitely gonna be essays that you feel like were written for you you know and you may go back and reread them and reread them and then there are some essays that you read and you're like I appreciated it but maybe this will impact me in a different time um, or impact me more in a different point of my life but it doesn't take away from the value of the essay but you know ultimately you take something from everything and you're able to go back and read what you underlined and read what you wrote and see where you were mentally at that point when you read this book. So Chloe, I don't know if you will ever listen to these episodes, but if you do, thank you for putting this piece of work together. Thank you for having all the contributors write their most vulnerable words and share them with the world. And with that, I think I'm going to end the episode here. I want to thank you guys for listening as always. If you want to reach out to me, please do email me at btbwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's btbwpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to contact me on my social, which is in the description. Please rate and review on your preferred listening platform if this episode or any future episodes have positively impacted you and again like I say it every episode I appreciate you guys spending your time with me and I appreciate even if it's just a minute that you turn on this podcast and listen I appreciate you so much I love you guys so much and I will talk to you soon bye